Today on the Sunshine Economy. Some of these restaurants, it's just about the numbers. We built a reputation. We built a brand. Our faces are on this. I'm a lot more business savvy, and I'm more of a businesswoman than I am a restaurateur at this point. One couple's small business journey during the pandemic. I'm Elisa Baena. And I'm Tom Hudson. Even before COVID-19 cost them one business, these Black entrepreneurs knew it would be tough. It's definitely not an easy road. I'll be honest in saying that you do have to work harder. You do have to work smarter. A pandemic business journey is ahead on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening this week. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. The business journey for Jamila and Aquino West began in a parking lot of the Johnson & Wales University in North Miami nine years ago. Aquino made a presentation in class that day. I ended up, like, catching him at the parking lot, like, good job, you know, whatever, and uh, thought he was cute and exchanged numbers and went on a few kind of casual dates. She caught me in the middle of the parking lot. We started <laughs> talking. You know, she came up to me. I didn't come up to her. Yeah, we started chatting, and we took it from there. They've taken it to starting a bed-and-breakfast hotel in Overtown and soon hope to have three restaurants. They were hit hard by the restrictions put in place two years ago to slow the spread of COVID-19, forced to pivot their business plans, and even got married during the pandemic. Jamila knew a career in hospitality was for her. She grew up just outside of New York City. As a young person, like, seeing the server, usually uh, a woman, uh, you know, go on this fancy computer and then the food comes out. Like, I, I, I admire, I've always admired the server job. As a teenager, her stepdad said she should find a career where getting a paycheck was a perk. And I took the question seriously and I asked myself, what could I do every single day, day in, day out? And I was like, I could cook every single day. It made sense at that point for me. Aquino's path to the hospitality industry came through his high school football field and a culinary arts teacher at Palm Beach Gardens High School. That teacher spotted his competitive spirit and asked him to enter high school culinary contests. He was successful, but still didn't see a career in the kitchen. At that point, you know, I didn't, I really didn't have a way of getting to school, you know. My goal was like, let me just stick to football, let me stick to football, or just get a job in the industry and grow naturally. He did make it to culinary school, and after graduation, started working with some well-known South Florida chefs, like Michael Schwartz and Neven Patel. Both run their own restaurants. Jamila worked in Los Angeles and at the SLS South Beach. Both worked overseas before returning to South Florida and reconnecting personally and professionally. I wanted to own a restaurant, I think, um, not really understanding what it means to own a restaurant, and now here I am owning a restaurant. At some point, I realized that that's actually not what I wanted to do. Um, I think that the entrepreneurial path has always been um, of interest to me. And I just wanted to be super well-rounded and understand what part of the industry I wanted to be in. So whether it's hotel or independent restaurant, and I found that independent restaurants were... Uh, was something that was 
more interested in. But their business journey together certainly didn't plan on a pandemic. And it didn't begin with a restaurant, or at least not only a restaurant. Instead, it began with a bed and breakfast. In the summer of 2018, the couple was in their mid-20s and had recently gotten engaged. They decided to level up their small business running Airbnbs by launching a traditional bed and breakfast, even though a hotel was not the original plan. A restaurant concept was very much ideal and what we had in mind, and it would need a lot less initial capital to get off the ground. They also hadn't planned on opening a business in Overtown. We were looking in Little Havana as a location. There's a beautiful home um, adjacent to the design district that we were really interested in, but the, the owners weren't looking to sell. Despite all that, when WLRN first spoke to Jamila nearly four years ago, she said the Copperdor B&B came together in a way that felt like fate. It was one of those situations where all the stars kind of aligned. Literally, the stars just aligned. It was like, this is it. The stars all just like came together. When we saw the space. The old Dimitri Hotel in historic Overtown. It quickly became the venture that was worth investing in. It was perfect because of the neighborhood, because of the amount of bedrooms, because of what this space had to offer as a total package. And therefore, we were willing to invest in Overtown and willing to invest in this property for all that it encompassed. It encompassed 22 bedrooms, each with a private bathroom. Jamila and Aquino's advisors told them if they were going to spend the money to renovate a historic space, the property would need to have enough rooms to make that money back and fast. It definitely gives us a little more revenue, which is great on a financial side. Just having more rooms gives us the opportunity to grow faster and become a better and a more sustainable business. So that's why we decided to take this step and continue with the Dimitri Hotel, which is now the Copper Door B&B. I'm traveling The building was built in 1942 and has really good bones. (laughs) Good bones and a colorful history. 80 years ago was right around the neighborhood's economic heyday. Black musicians like Billie Holiday, Count Basie, and Nat King Cole would perform in segregated Miami Beach, then cross back over the causeway to stay in Overtown, then known as Harlem of the South. So from today The owner was Jimmy Dimitri. He was of Syrian descent, and he owned this building along with adjacent properties in the area. Liquor store, restaurant, corner store. I mean, like, the epitome of what a neighborhood needs to be functional, he kind of created those. When you want a true lover Send for me, send for me. He befriended a black gentleman whose nickname was Moon um, because he used to distill moonshine. And they kind of got together and the, the hotel, you know, was booming. And, you know, you got to think like Miami during that time period, the 50s and 60s, Overtown. 
the rooms upstairs were being used as a brothel and like gambling rooms and like just high energy. You know, a lot of characters coming in and out of here. And Jimmy Dimitri himself was almost like a uh, Robin Hood for the neighborhood, bailing people in and out of jail, going in and out himself. So, I mean, there's a real, real story here. The real story here was far from subtle, but it was on display in subtle touches throughout the renovated Copper Door B&B. Just outside the front door was the original terrazzo inlay spelling of Dimitri Hotel. In the room's toiletries were stored in vintage medicine cabinets. As the new owner of a hotel that holds so much history, Jamila felt a responsibility to introduce travelers to Overtown and to other places that tourists who visit South Florida don't normally see, like Little Haiti. Being an advisor to that person that's in a new city for the first time, that's our role. That's our job. Our rooms are gorgeous. Our breakfast is bomb. But that's really the foundation and where it starts. French toast, chocolate, buttermilk, cream, something that we could put on top with some bacon on the side. Quentin Trezantine and his girlfriend, Laura Petranca, stayed at the Copper Door when they visited from Italy in the summer of 2018. Mainly we wanted a place close downtown, so we saw that this place, we could reach it just walking, it's just 20 minutes. We wanted to see, like, Miami and visit all the areas. We didn't come here to spend five days at the beach. When Jamila and Aquino West opened Copper Door B&B nearly four years ago, They wanted to take part in a larger effort led by black entrepreneurs to revitalize Overtown. The Harlem of the South had been devastated by the construction of I-95 in the 1960s. They were also sensitive to the fact that many people living in Overtown wouldn't be able to afford to stay at their hotel. When it first opened, a night in a typical room cost $150. Both Kino and I are from underdeveloped neighborhoods. So gentrification is not something that's new to us, especially being black Americans. It's been at times a struggle to let people know, you know, oh, it's a boutique hotel, it's not an apartment building. Or, you know, it's, it's been sometimes a challenge to say, you know, the, the price point is this, but it's because we're providing this type of experience. Despite those challenging conversations, the couple said they believe they were a part of the solution. So when it comes to gentrification, we believe that for this particular neighborhood, we are not a part of the problem. Jamila told us about an employee living in subsidized housing for veterans across the street and an intern who was a student at the local high school, Booker T. Washington. They were looking for more opportunities to make their business accessible to people living nearby. Our community is our neighborhood. Our community is a part of our business. One idea they toyed with in 2018, a cafe, where people could skip the bed and head right to the breakfast. The history of the building and and what it's done for this particular block is something that we plan on kind of creating longevity with and ensuring it's still a part of the concept and, and that this neighborhood still feels very welcome when it comes to this building. Their plans, like everyone's plans, ran into the pandemic two years ago. That part of their journey is still to come. 
we were hit with every emotion and like still trying to maintain a business. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. By the time COVID-19 upended the economy, shutting down travel, hotels, and the restaurant industries, Jamila and Aquino West had been running and cooking breakfast every morning at their Copper Door B&B in Overtown for a couple of years. It was busy even before it officially opened. Kino's family came down from Palm Beach County to help us clean. So we're all cleaning rooms and stuff. It gets late at the end of the night. We order in pizza and pasta and stuff. And we're like sitting in the lobby with our plastic forks and like eating. And there's a knock at the door. This is Jamila speaking with us earlier this month. The whole front of the lobby is completely transparent. So we're like, okay, like who is it? Whatever. He's like, I have a reservation. And we're, <laughs> we're all looking at each other like... Yeah, so we don't open up for another week, you know. Um, he might have been our first actual guest. <laughs> it, it was a funny scenario, but I was like, it's working. This is going to work. They got the hotel up and running by partnering with the owner of the building who shared then in the revenue. They couldn't get any bank loans because they didn't have a business track record yet. And it was never really intended to be called the Copper Door. It was a placeholder name that stuck. It's funny because we never had Copper Doors. Um, our doors were blue; have always been this kind of like navy blue. We would get many calls in for door replacement and to for people to purchase doors from us. <laughs> it just had its own little thing, and it, it has stuck with people, and um, it's a good name. In the global markets, copper is known as Dr. Copper, as in a metal with a PhD in economics. The nickname comes from the widespread use of copper in factories, energy, electronics. So when it's in demand, that's seen as reflecting a strong economy. And when prices go down, it signals a downturn. The Copper Door B&B held true to the metal that it's named for, business came to a halt as the economy all but shut down in the early weeks of the pandemic two years ago. The Copper Door was up and running for a few years before the pandemic came about. Was it profitable? Were you turning a profit? Yeah, it, it, yes, very much so. It was a very like pivotal point in our business, actually, that we were ready and prepared to reinvest in the business. Meaning what? We are kind of building up the pot, if you will. I'm ready to make some adjustments to have, you know, a little bit higher of a price point, a little bit more of an elegant experience, a well-rounded experience. Now, we were working out of a residential kitchen, completely residential kitchen, doing 50 covers like we would a restaurant. It was wearing on us, and we were at 100% occupancy most of the time. Um, and just like that level of creativity, we were every morning was a different dish. 
We would um, diversify between savory and sweet every other day. It needed a restaurant, and our guests wanted more F&B available as well outside of breakfast on site. Yeah. So um, there was a space in the property that we, you know, that, that had never been a restaurant that we were willing to completely renovate to be the restaurant as well as to finally be open to the public. So guests would have the opportunity for afternoon snacks and, you know, we'd have more team members. And um, there were a lot of just other additional amenities that we wanted to provide to our guests to create an even better experience. You were able to pay yourself. You were able to draw salaries. You were able to put some of the profit away, some of the net income away, keep that as retained earnings. You were building up the the kitty, right, yep. to improve that business right that's what 2019 was looking like again right. right you know it was it, it definitely was pretty solid you know obviously when the pandemic hit you know the, the game changed at the end of the day you know it, it became uh it became like you know how can how much can we save and how can we protect our investment at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. and, it, and it became very hard very fast. We, we were very much ready and prepared to make big purchases, knowing what those projections look like, knowing how much we have been able to, um, you know, build upon. We were ready to attack summer like ninjas, like we got it down, like the discounts, the packages, people are already pre-booking. Um, it was, again, we, we had kind of like got over that like three year hump of like figuring it out and we were just ready to kick ass. Like we were just, we were ready for it. We were very close to putting down big deposits on some, some major, um, changes to really like bring the copper door to, to the next level. That's where we were at. March 21st, 2020, that was the day that all hotels, except for um, those that were housing essential personnel, were closed. It was a Saturday. (laughs) What do you remember about that day? Well, I was a little, you know, afraid, obviously, because because obviously all these other bigger hotels had an opportunity to be able to house some of these essential workers versus, you know, hey, let me reach out to some of these, you know, mom and pop establishments to say, hey, what can we do to help you guys out? Who can we bring to your door? How can we fill up your 22 rooms to keep you alive? It was very, very uh, nerve-wracking. It was very much like, what are we going to do? I think that day, we still had guests in-house, many of them um, not able to get back to their home countries. Any given day, 60 to 70% of our guests were international travelers and mainly cruise goers. We had guests out at sea calling us to please hold their rooms and that they needed to extend, you know, ex- you know, extend their stays or, you know, figure things out. And like, so then to get hit with this, like, you can't do anything. <laughs> it was, it, it, we didn't, what do we, what did I, what do I say to my guest? You know, what do I say to my guests? It very much felt that entire time, um, like, what do I tell these people? The phone didn't stop ringing you know book me till next year can't believe this is happening we're so disappointed like i'm telling for like two and a half months the phones didn't stop ringing and i didn't know what to tell these people credits refunds discounts postpone next year how far into next year okay later next you know later this year okay well december's high time like it it just like 
the amount of um, scenarios, <laughs> financial understanding, empathy, like, like we were hit with every emotion and like still trying to maintain a business. It was so crazy. Like phone calls with lawyers, phone calls with banks. This came out, that application came out. Did you finish this? Well, when was the deadline for that? When I tell you like chaos, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was really, really chaotic. As you said, trying to still run a successful business because if we did process, you know, all refunds, what will happen to our business? It kind of didn't give us a chance to even like have a one-on-one conversation about, hey, you know, you know, manager meeting. Hey, what do we do? It was yeah. it, it just started. We were it was running like, the whole. It was it was it was like a marathon. We were just running, just like fires, fires, fires. Um, so it, it also became very emotional in that to like see how much people cared about us too. And do you remember when your final paying guest left? I remember when it was like down to one. And then there were none for two weeks and then three weeks and then four weeks. Or, you know, it was based on like how many breakfasts and how many rooms do we have to clean. So I think I, I remember more, most vividly like coming down, like every room. There's no no one coming in, no one going out. Like, this is it. But I think at that point, we got some very good advice, you know, during that time frame. Our lawyer, she was like, hey, guys, won't you, you know, you guys make excellent food. Won't you guys make, you know, start just selling food? And I was like, I guess so. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a good idea. We, we had a lot of food from expecting guests to, to be there, you know, during that time frame. And we were, like, stocking up and getting ready, everything situated. And, yeah, we started just thinking about food that was super comfortable for us, a menu that we already had kind of planned, like our chicken and waffles, chicken and biscuits. And, you know, it started off just very similar to, you know, most very natural. Like, we got a couple orders here and there, and then eventually just took off. Like, it became, like, this, this like, hidden restaurant that everyone wanted to try to find and it became super successful and you know that no that's a story that you know we can't just make up you are listening to the sunshine economy on wlrn i'm tom hudson and i'm elisa baena be sure to subscribe to the sunshine economy podcast by searching sunshine economy on your favorite podcast app while you're there be sure to leave a review thanks What started as Jamila and Aquino West's pivot in their pandemic business journey has turned into their growing business. That part of the story is still to come. We put all our money into to Rosie's. We didn't go to any bank to ask for money. We took our money out of our account. We're going to put everything into this and, and hope for the best.
This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks so much for listening and supporting public radio. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. Two years ago, hotels were closed, cruise ships were docked, and the travel industry had ground to a halt. Business had stopped for Jamila and Aquino West. They own the Copper Door Bed and Breakfast in Overtown, and until then, most nights, their 22 rooms were full. But then nothing. So they returned to their first passions, cooking. They had gotten used to preparing dozens of breakfasts each morning for their hotel guests. But there were no more guests, so they started cooking for others. It kind of was all that we could do. Like, we didn't have another choice. And we, we took it slow. And it, it was slow. <laughs> it was, to this point, it was it was slow, and it made us it made us second guess everything, the bed and breakfast, even Rosie's. Like after like two months in, he was like, "What are like? Why are we doing this? You know, what are we what are we doing?" I was like, "I don't know." During that time frame, like you hit these highs and lows. Like, all right, cool, you're doing it, and then you don't get any orders, and it's like. Why am I actually really here? You know, and it, it was very, uh, it was very difficult. You know, super emotional. These were the first meals of what would become Rosie's. We put all our money into the copper door. Put all our money into Rosie's, and it did hurt. It really did hurt. You know, like it's literally like our personal funding. We didn't go to any bank to ask for money. We took our money out of our account, our business, and our family, and said, like, hey, we're gonna put everything into this and, and hope for the best. This bet came after their first venture fell victim to the pandemic closures. But before COVID-19 waylaid the hospitality industry, they were fulfilling a dream. Here's Aquino last fall. Uh, Overtown kind of found us, you know, we were originally looking for restaurant spaces. And then we met a developer that showed us uh, opportunity for a bed and breakfast that was one of uh, Jamila's actually dreams was to own a small boutique like bed and breakfast three four rooms and she can take care of everything and cook for her guests and then we had this opportunity of doing 22 rooms and we took the opportunity and it's been an awesome story that awesome story turned into the unimaginable almost overnight thanks to COVID-19 for the hotel business Except not for Jamila and Aquino. They opened a soul food restaurant, at first at the Copper Door, and then at a pop-up location in the Jackson Health District. It was called Rosie's, named after Jamila's mom. This version of Rosie's was inside and had air conditioning. This was the first day it opened on the first floor of an office building in the Jackson Health District. It had a different energy than its first location, which only had outdoor seating on a thin patio adjacent to the Copper Doors lobby. People would line up at noon on a Sunday to eat Aquino's hot fried chicken. They didn't even mind that it would be a sweaty meal. This new location was serving the same food, inspired by Jamila's grandmother. She was also very multicultural, like um, when it was Christmas time, she would buy her pernil and then the Puerto Rican woman down the hall from our apartment would season it for her and then bring it back and then she would cook the pernil. So like I also grew up understanding these types of um, foods and just from the, you know, but when it came down to like 
holidays, after church, what we eat, it has always been soul food. And so I know that it's very similar for Kino and his upbringing, and it's, it's comfort food. I sat down with Jamila just after the lunch rush. Jamila says, looking back, her grandmother was actually kind of a foodie. As a young person, you're like, what do you eat? Like, what is this? And now as a culinarian, I'm like, she was like way beyond, like she's like about it. Like she would eat her fried chicken with lemon juice. (laughs) And now I look back and I'm like, that makes such sense. Like to have a little bit of acidity. Like I thought she was just weird, you know? (laughs) At Rosie's, Jamila greeted customers and checked in throughout their meals. Her husband, Aquino, was usually in the kitchen. He was the chef, and the South Florida native was behind the soul food menu, which also featured specials that skewed Italian, like their carbonara. We were so excited when we came back. I was practically like doing a dance coming in the door. (laughs) It's like, Jamila! (laughs) Lisa Beal was a regular since Rosie's first opened at the Copper Door. She then started coming to the new spot, and with company, her swim team. They refueled at Rosie's every Saturday after practice at the Hadley Pool in Liberty City. I'm a chicken and biscuits fan, and I tell you, I would never have eaten chicken for breakfast. I was always like, I don't really understand this American thing of chicken and waffles, chicken and biscuits. Now I can't even come here without having chicken yeah. and biscuits. Beal's teammate, Dino Mosquera, said his go-to was the wild mushroom polenta. They're always very welcoming, so it's become this, uh, it's a social hangout, so... And during the pandemic, that was important for us. So we will get together Saturdays with them. I mean, and now they, you know, they move, we follow, so. It's been a very humbling experience to have regulars, to know what it is like to have regulars, to know people's orders. It's, it's beautiful that people want to spend time with us. Chicken and waffles! It's like a one-on-one connection. It's not that... You know, you're just a customer. We feed you, and you're in and out. It's, I want to get to know you. I want to know what's your name and, and where you come from. Ever since their launch at the Bed and Breakfast early in the pandemic, Rosie's has been one of those if-you-know-you-know you know kind of spots. That carried over and then some when it moved to 7th Avenue in Miami. The smell of fried chicken filled the room. Shrimp and grits, cheddar grits with sausage and eggs were on the menu. You may have had to wait for a table on the weekends. Now, they're working on a permanent home for Rosie's in Little River. In the meantime, they've started a new restaurant in this location. You are listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. Still to come, as business returns, it is far from business as usual, trying to find workers and dealing with inflation. Some of these restaurants, is just about the numbers. We built a reputation. We built a brand. Our faces are on this. We're 
We're back on the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening and supporting WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. This time two years ago, there was no business for Jamila and Aquino West. They were engaged to be married and business partners. Their bed and breakfast hotel in Overtown was closed, along with most of the hospitality industry. And they had started cooking soul food in its small kitchen. They called the makeshift restaurant Rosie's. But last August, they decided to close the hotel permanently. We made something really special happen there. The hotel was in a 1940s-era building in Overtown. And after months without guests because of the pandemic, and then only slowly returning after reopening, and their other business, Rosie's, beginning to take off, they knew it was time to close the copper door for good. With Rosie's being as successful as it was, not feeling super comfortable about the product at the bed and breakfast at that point was also a a really pivotal moment. Like, I wanted to give my guests this. And, like, I knew that I could provide that if this didn't happen. And since it did happen, it almost created a lack of motivation to some degree as well. Just two weeks after they closed the hotel and their pop-up restaurant, it moved to a space in the Jackson Health District neighborhood. And since then, they've started a grab-and-go cafe based off New York comfort food. Think bagels and pastrami while they retool Rosie's in a new location in Little River. And they have plans for a third restaurant, Negra y Fuerte, serving Afro-Cuban cocktails and cuisine. Together, they make up the latest company in the West's business journey, Independent Hospitality. We spoke with them after they had closed one weekday last week. Why expand now? Given what you've experienced in business, given still the state of the world uh, and, and the local economy and hospitality and the cruise industry and travel, why expand now? I think we've been, you know, entrepreneurs all our life. You know, sometimes you have to take a chance on, on something that, you're, that you feel special about. It's not always about, like, you know, do I always make it or not? You know, sometimes you're going you're gonna to miss, but you got to get back up and you know, continue pushing yourself. But, yeah, like it, it, it's something that we're super excited about and it's something that we've been talking about for a while. So it's, it's kind of like your motivation just to get up and do it, you know, that makes you want to just take those chances and those opportunities. And, and it's also when you find those special places, you kind of want to hold on to them versus just letting them go. Okay, you let them go, somebody else going to hop in and take it away from me. Let's talk about capital, though. Where is is it coming from the cash flow of the restaurants? Yes, yeah, exactly. So the, I, I would say our, our main capital is, you know, from ourselves, like we did with the Copper Door. Right now we're looking at, looking for investors. Have you tapped into the traditional financing market at all uh, as banks as you experienced with Copper Door, you were kind of shut out from that because you didn't have the track record. But now that you have a track record, are you utilizing that? We're we haven't investigated it quite yet. I think that we want a dynamic type of capital partnership opposed to something that's very transactional. There's obviously pros to con- pros and cons to both. I think this is like a feel good people type of business and if we can include some partnerships that help us expand that we prefer that over you know 
here's here's your money okay here's here's your interest and da 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 and, and just being um yeah again that kind of transactional i also think that like part of us does it for the love of the game but also because like it hasn't lived its full potential what hasn't rosie's pardon me we we were on survival we're bed and breakfast. We told these people that there's going to be breakfast. Where's we got? We have to have breakfast. Like we like okay. We done breakfast. We got it. Um, Rosie's is a pop up. They've been asking for the restaurant. It deserves dinner service. It deserves a restaurant. Kino as a chef um, is so multifaceted to be limited to a service like breakfast. Although breakfast is awesome, and he's been able to create great things out of that service style it deserves to have someone describe these dishes to you and take your order and create an experience for you it deserves for wine to be accompanied and and great cocktails and it has always felt like there's so much blossoming there's so much potential that that can happen and so that I think that's like the re- one of the real whys as to like it may it, this is why we're still in this hustle because you haven't seen all that it has to offer. You have to see the whole thing, the full picture. Parts of that picture that have changed considerably. You mentioned service. Boy, the demand to have talent, right? To have hospitality talent, front of the house, back of the house. Prices have gone up for those. It's been difficult to find those people. How are you? How are you thinking about that as you are looking to grow and expand? I think we're being very picky at the end of the day. You know, like we're, I, I truly believe in, you know, having a very good team is super important, but also making sure that you're not um, setting yourself up for, you know, failure because, you know, you can just hire anyone, right? And they can just push out anything, but do they believe in what you're, what you've created and you developed? Uh, do they believe in the mission? If they don't, then you have kind of have nothing at the end of the day. And for me, it's not about just the hands, because I'd rather sit back there, close half of my restaurant, and make all the food myself if I have to. And that we've we've done it before, and we're happy to do it again if that if, if that's what it really needs. Because, except for the guest experience, means more to us than anything else. And you'd be surprised that. You know, some of these restaurants, it's just about the numbers. It's about the numbers. We built a reputation. We built a, a brand. We built our faces on this. It's different than the other way around. One of the other big changes that's greeted every business with a cold slap of reality, which is the cost of goods, inflation, and particularly when it comes to food inflation, uh, meat prices, grain prices uh, across the board. How are you approaching that, thinking about that as you're looking beyond the horizon, Jamila, to open up that new kitchen, open up the new restaurant? Yeah, it's it's tough. I think that we're trying to leverage food costs with things like elevated experience. I think that that's where we can kind of mediate a little bit. Also empowering the team to, you know, sell smart and to you know encourage guests to you know order appropriately and to really read tables and read guests and and steer them in a direction that's going to give them the best experience 
I think that like for us as well, like realizing sometimes like how to be efficient in other ways, how to cross utilize. Um, right now we're even looking at investing in a bigger, more kind of like commissary type of space. Like a common kitchen, than yeah. a shared kitchen space. Yeah, yeah. For for our restaurants as well as potentially others, maybe to, you know, cut costs and, and spread, you know, the ingredients uh, a little bit. It's it's gonna t- it's taking like some real creative thinking. Um, there are many restaurants in Miami that I, I admire for being like so transparent. Um, you know, there's like funny memes and stuff where it's like you're complaining about your cheeseburger, but do you know what it cost me today versus you know five months ago or whatever? But like the more conversations that we have about this, sometimes like the hospitality industry can really be like this, like this, this uh, secret society, you know, as diners, like you have no, sometimes people have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, but more that we can like explain and create transparency and be honest about some of these hardships, hopefully they'll be more accepting and understanding. And I've seen that, um, especially through Rosie's. You are listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC NewsHour on Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come, the journey ahead for these hospitality entrepreneurs as they work to build their businesses in Miami. It's a very exciting time for business here in in Miami. You know, it wasn't seen as a food city before, and now it's becoming very important that Miami is a food city, and I think that it deserves that. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Elisa Baena. We first spoke with Jamila and Aquino West in 2018, just after they had opened the Copper Door Bed and Breakfast in Overtown. It was a small hotel, just 22 rooms. But it represented the first big business effort by Jamila and Aquino and intentionally was set in a historically black neighborhood, not thought of as a usual tourist stop. The hotel closed, but not before it spawned a restaurant concept, helping spark the West's newest efforts in what they hope to be their growing hospitality portfolio. We caught up with them four years later to hear how their original vision hasn't really changed, despite the pandemic and all the upheaval it has brought with it to their businesses. Here's how Aquino described their first business to us in 2018. Our concept is to tell a story and to make everybody understand that a story is something that we're looking to portray. And and it's, it's, it's very important to us. So we asked him if he still thinks he's telling a story. I do feel like we're still telling a story, you know. Um, it's almost become like part of our brand at the end of the day. Um, so we're telling you know a story about you know entrepreneurs, obviously like color entrepreneurs. You know, you know kids walking past us, seeing that and like, hey, I, I love what you guys are doing. You know, the other day we was at a um, the food and wine festival, 
and one of the one of the younger cooks walked up to me and said, "Hey, like you know, they told me you own you own Rosie's, and I was the the only black chef that I guess he knew I was there. So it was like super enlightening for him to like be like, "Wow, like that's super impressive. Like I would love to stay in contact with you, try to like pick your brain on how I can do the same." So I, I do feel like it's still like telling the story because. The story hasn't stopped, you know, on on what's next for us and 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 how we build our journey as you know as a couple, but also as you know a um, as a business. When we first spoke with Jamila in 2018, she described her journey as a black entrepreneur this way. It's definitely not an easy road. I'll be honest in saying that it, you do have to work harder. You do have to work smarter. Since then, the murder of George Floyd and protests have reignited a debate about social justice and opportunities. We asked Jamila about being a black entrepreneur today. I think that sometimes businesses of color, it's kind of, there's sometimes these preconceived notions of like, and, and to some degree, some nitpicking, like, you know, is it organized? Did they have my reservation? Like these very kind of basic things. And sometimes it takes a great deal of experience in this industry to not like up on those things. It's a different experience. The perception is very different. I find sometimes like we'll get comments that are kind of a little backhanded. Like it was actually, I actually had a great time. Like, okay. You know, why, why would like, you know, it's hard to hear that. Why, why wouldn't you assume that you would have a great time with us? You know? The bedrock of the South Florida economy is small and medium-sized businesses. You have started and have kept alive small and medium-sized businesses here, particularly in the hospitality industry. There was no industry hit harder during the pandemic than the hospitality industry. You experienced this firsthand. So I'm wondering, as you have grown confident in your own entrepreneurial skills, your own business acumen, uh, and are making new investments, looking to grow. What do you think your business journey in the last several years here in Miami tells us about the state of the economy here in South Florida? It's growing. I think it says that it's growing. I think that it's worth holding on to. Um, there's great potential, you know. I tend to tell people that's a very exciting time for business here in, in Miami. You know, it wasn't seen as a food city before, and now it's becoming very important that Miami is a food city, and I think that it deserves that. I feel very inspired in this city, and I feel, especially with living at the Copper Door and being in Overtown, a sense of community. Not because of all the initiatives, like the organ, you know, not not because of like all the hoopla, if you will, around, you know, this, this re, you know, reincarnation of Overtown, but just being there day in and day out, saying hello to people, um, developing relationships with, with people. I don't know. I felt a, a closeness. The reason why we're here is because there's like, there's so much potential and like, it's exciting to see what goes on. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate what's happening with like housing and pricing and inflation and landlords and renters. And like, it's, it's all, it's, it's also kind of scary in that sense, but perhaps because, you know, we have been in this for the last six years, 
so it's almost like we've put so much into it and now it's finally you know like it's finally getting that attention or we're we're finally at a good place to create some great things and feel confident to even approach investors and like understand what that looks like that that's all like very scary to you know to young entrepreneurs and and ourselves included but now we're at that point where it's like we're ready for this we we've we've done the work we're ready to take off now Jamila and Aquino West the husband and wife team talking with us this month from the restaurant called 7th in Miami you can find a podcast of this program and all of our programs by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app follow us on social media look for WLRN on Twitter Instagram and Facebook Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. We received production, editing, and reporting help from Andrea Perdomo, Jessica Bakeman, and Alicia Zuckerman. I'm Elisa Baena. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.